0: Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Have you ever wondered what God is like or what Jesus was all about or how you get saved and what getting saved means anyway? Well, if you've ever felt embarrassed to ask, please don't. I really want to help you understand our big, amazing God. And a great place to start is a little book that I wrote called The Basics. God, You, Jesus, and Faith. And here's more good news. If you're always on the go and don't have time to read, you can now listen to The Basics as a podcast series. Just search for The Basics with Pastor Mike Novotny wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. At the end of the Bible book that he wrote, John has this interesting little statement that he throws in there. He says that he supposed that if he would write down everything that Jesus ever did and said, it would probably fill more than there are books in the entire world. Now that is an incredible thing to think about. Don't you wonder the other things that Jesus did? Well, of the things that we do have recorded that Jesus did, some of the most famous things are his miracles. So this week, we're going to talk about some of the most famous miracles that Jesus performed and think about, well, what do these mean for me today? So let's start with maybe the easiest one, one of the more famous ones. It's actually his first miracle, when Jesus turned water into wine. You can find that story in John chapter 2 if you want to read it sometime. So quick summary here. Jesus and his first four disciples go to a village in northern Israel called Cana. They go to a wedding reception. Well, when they arrive, Jesus' mother Mary tells them, well, there's no more wine. That might sound like no big deal, but understand in those cultural days, this was a big deal because wedding celebrations weren't just a few hours. They would last up to an entire week. This was a catastrophe, so to speak, for their celebration. So Jesus told some of the servants, to take these big six stone jars and to fill them with water. Maybe about 120 to 180 gallons worth of water. So then they drew this water and they took it to the headmaster of the banquet. And and sure enough, it was wine. And not just any wine, it was really, really good choice wine. This is an incredible thing to think about how Jesus would do this. And and there's some very good take-home points that easily come to mind. First of all, God is so good in graciously providing for us. Again, this would have been sort of an embarrassment for the bride and groom and their families, maybe even a sign of poverty, to run out of wine at their own wedding celebration. And so not only did Jesus provide, but point two, pours open the floodgates of blessings. Maybe some 750 bottles or so of wine. And and again, really, really good wine. But there's one more point that we really don't want to overlook with this miracle. And I'll say that a lot this week. There's a lot of things that Jesus has with the miracles that are very personal touches, very specific points that he is making. So as we read at the beginning of this chapter, we actually see that they went there on the third day, it says. Well, that might seem like an insignificant detail, but we have to understand, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, this was their second day of being a disciple. They probably had all kinds of questions swirling, like, what am I doing here? I dropped everything to follow Jesus. Is he even worth following? Well, sure enough, they go to this wedding and Jesus performs this miracle. And guess who knew about it? It wasn't the bride and groom. It wasn't all the people at the reception, at the party. It was a few servants, his mother Mary, and Peter, Andrew, James and John. And so the story concludes by saying this, This was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see, the specific point for his disciples and for us is that with this miracle, Jesus was just starting to open the door to reveal his glory and show who he really is, our almighty, powerful God. So come back this week as we talk about miracles and we see who our powerful Savior Jesus really is. We're talking about some of the famous miracles of Jesus this week. And today, let's talk about another of the most famous ones, the feeding of the 5,000. You can find this story actually in all Gospel, Bible books about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. So Jesus and his disciples had crossed over the Sea of Galilee And as they landed, crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds of people flocked to Jesus. They heard about his healing and his help and, well, quite frankly, they wanted a piece of the pie, so to speak. And so as they showed up, eventually, the disciples came to realize it was getting kind of late in the day. So they came to Jesus and said, Lord, it's getting late. We should send these people away. They need to eat. They should go home. This is a a decent thought, I suppose, but a little simple-minded. And so Jesus took this moment to do a whole pile of teaching to a whole pile of people. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, well, why don't you feed them? Right over their heads. They did not get where this was going. Philip, looked at Jesus and said, Lord, if we had half a year's wages, this would not provide enough food. If we, if we had 30, 40, 50 thousand dollars, we couldn't cover it. And then Peter said, well, here's a small boy and he has five loaves of bread and two small fish. You wonder, is he being sarcastic with Jesus or saying, well, at least a couple of us can eat. Either way, let the teaching begin with Jesus. He took the loaves of bread and the two small fish and he broke them and he looked up to heaven and gave thanks, again, modeling and teaching for his disciples. But then he told them to go ahead and distribute. And so they handed it out and handed it out and handed it out and handed it out some more. And, and I have to wonder, when did it dawn on them? After they gave food to five people? 50, 500? That something incredible was going on here? Of course, we know that they didn't feed just 500 people, but the Bible says just men alone, there was 5,000 people. So include women and children, maybe seven to 10,000 people. And they collected 12 basketfuls at the end. Not surprised, probably one basket for each disciple. More than they even started with in the first place. Just incredible miracle from Jesus. But there's one other little detail about this I don't think we should overlook. If you look at the context of the story, we learn that Jesus went to this place to be alone, to pray, to refocus. He just learned that his relative, John the Baptist, had been beheaded and died. And here these thousands of people show up. I mean, wouldn't you be frustrated? But not Jesus. The Bible specifically says that Jesus looked at them and had compassion. You see, this is our savior in action today. Think about all the blessings that you have. I mean, you're watching this video on something, probably a a phone or a tablet, a computer, some kind of device. Think about your home, your refrigerator full of food, your clothes. He gives us so many blessings. And on top of that, he gives us the Bible, his word, and Christian friends and pastors and teachers and churches to go to. Just like in this miracle, this is what Jesus does for us. Every day, providing for both body and soul. And now that is a loving and powerful Savior. Lord, don't you care? Lord, save us! Ever have thoughts like that before? God, why aren't you paying attention? Don't you know what's going on in my life? Why won't you do something, God? These are the kinds of thoughts that we hear from the disciples today. They're on the Sea of Galilee again. They're in a boat. And as is prone to happen because of the geography and topography, a storm suddenly rose up. And and the storm was so bad that these disciples, some of them experienced fishermen, they thought they were going to drown. The water was coming in the boat and, and there's Jesus in the back of the boat, sleeping. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's a pretty hefty accusation. Jesus, don't you care about us? Well, Jesus had a full sermon for these disciples in just a few short words. He stood up in the boat and said, Quiet, be still. And the winds and the waves obeyed, and they and they died down, and the storm stopped. And then he looked at them, and and here's what Jesus said: Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, sometimes people really stretch this story and they make it into one big parable or or allegory for their lives. Jesus will calm all the storms of your life. Okay, fine. Jesus flexes his divine muscles here and he helped them and he can help us too. We get that. But I want you to think bigger picture with this story here. Look at these words that Jesus spoke. Again, spoke. Just like in the beginning, when God spoke, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Created the whole universe just by speaking. This is the same God who said, be still, and the winds and the waves obeyed here. The same God who said, get up, and a dead person rose, as we'll hear in just a few days this week. And so I want you to think that this is the same God, the same Jesus, who hung from a cross and said, "It is finished." And it was. All your sins, all your wrongs were paid for. Your guilt was erased. The doors of heaven opened. Eternal life, one for you. You see, when God speaks, things happen. We don't have a God who simply dozes off, who doesn't care, who doesn't know what's going on in your life. And so he says to you, today why are you so afraid the same god who said all those other things is the same god who also says in the bible surely i'm with you always or never will i leave you never will i forsake you when our god speaks it always happens just as he says yes we see today in this miracle jesus who is true man he was tired he was sleeping. But we also see Jesus as true God, the Almighty One who has power over heaven and earth. And that, my friends, is your Jesus, true God and true man, and truly your Savior. One day Jesus was teaching and, go figure, he was surrounded by a huge crowd of people. In fact, it was SRO, standing room only in this house. But there were four friends, who really wanted their paralyzed friend to have the opportunity to see and to hear Jesus. So they were determined. They they took him up on top of the roof of the house. They cut a little hole in the roof and then they dropped him down inside. They lowered him in. Now the fascinating thing is that this wasn't the disruptive part of the day. It's actually what Jesus said next. Jesus saw the faith of these men and the faith of this paralyzed man and he said, friend, Your sins are forgiven. Now, while all this was going on, some of the opponents of Jesus, some of the Jewish teachers and Pharisees, they were thinking to themselves, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive people. He must be a false teacher, a false prophet to say such things. Well, Jesus knew what they were thinking, not by guessing or intuition. He actually knew what they were thinking. And so he asked them, What do you think is easier to do? To heal a person or to give them forgiveness? Now, don't get stumped by this. This is actually an easy question. The answer is neither. Neither is easy. No one, no human can do either of those things. But if you had to rate it on a difficulty scale, I suppose, healing a body for a few decades is not even close to as difficult as redeeming a soul from hell. No human can do either, only God can do both. That's the point. And so Jesus looked at these skeptics, these opponents of his, and he said, so that you can know I am who I claim I am, that I have the authority to do these things. Then he looked at the man and said, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he did. A paralyzed man stood up and walked home. You see, Jesus put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. He didn't just say it, he proved it. This is one reason that I really love this story and this particular miracle of Jesus because this gets right to the heart of the matter. Who is Jesus and why does he matter for my life? There are so many skeptics in the world that that don't think Jesus is who he claims to be. Or, Or even Christians sometimes who sort of superficially think, well, Jesus is just a nice guy and a good example. No, in this miracle, we see just who Jesus is. He is our God who has all power over everything. And he doesn't just heal our physical ailments. He has the power to heal our souls. And so as you see this miracle today, think about who Jesus really is. He is truly our God, the all-powerful maker and creator But he is truly the one who brings you healing down to the fiber of your soul. The one who saved you. And so, friends, like the paralyzed man, rejoice. Your sins are forgiven, too. Death. The most disastrously disruptive thing that we experience in this world. A life ends, family and Friends are crushed. Questions are left unanswered. You know, if you've lost someone that you love, it's okay to cry. It's not a sign of weakness of faith. Even Jesus himself wept at the death of his friend, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. And so that brings us to the final miracle we'll talk about this week. A famous story maybe you've heard before. Lazarus did, in fact, die. And four days later, Jesus arrived on the scene and he arrived to a very typical scene. People were mourning and and weeping and very sad over the loss of their loved one. And as he arrived, Jesus was greeted by the sisters, by Mary and Martha, and, and both of them had very similar comments and statements. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now we wonder, if this was meant as an accusation? Or was this just meant in faith, if you wanted, you could have healed him? I know we often have questions like this when loved ones die. Why didn't you do anything about it, God? But then Martha did say something that was a great statement of faith. She said, I know that my brother will rise at the resurrection on the last day. And that is when Jesus said some of the most precious, special, beautiful words. Words that I have spoken so often at the bedside of the sick and dying. Words that I have spoken at every single funeral I have ever done. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. But Jesus didn't just say it. He proved it. He went with the people to the tomb of Lazarus and and he did weep for his dear friend. But then he looked up to heaven and he prayed to his heavenly Father and and then he called out, Lazarus, come out. And he did. A man dead four days came out of his tomb. You see, friends, this is what it's all about. Jesus shows us who he is. That's why he performed the miracles. Yes, he showed the personal touch of love and care for all these people in special ways. But with every miracle, Jesus was pointing to himself. He was pointing to the fact that this is our God, the promised Messiah who came to this world in human flesh to do what no human could do, not just miracles, to take away all of our wrongs to die on a cross to pay for our sins and then to do the greatest miracle of any time ever, to rise himself from the dead, to prove that he is the resurrection so that when we die, we will rise to life. As we close out this week on miracles, I want you to just ponder something that John wrote toward the end of his Bible book. It's very precious, very special words. John wrote this. These words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I hope and pray that this week you are filled with awe over all the things that Jesus did, all these wonderful miracles. But even more so, I hope that these words of John have been fulfilled. That these words have been written for you to believe, to see, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, your Savior, the Son of God who came for you.